Well, hello and welcome to episode number 399 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. In this week's show, we interview a listener of the show and a 747 freighter captain, John Jester. In the commercial news, we play with some aviation Lego. We take a look at a super jumbo hotel and we also check out the Mile High Club. In the military, we take a look at the security situation from an airplane's perspective in Europe. French aircraft manufacturer Dassault lands another big order, and a local Japanese prefecture isn't too fond of the Osprey, and a Black Hawk helicopter flies with no one on board for the first time. So joining me this week across the frozen landscapes of the village of Bungie, it's Matt Smith. Frozen? It's not that cold, is it? It is. It's one degree Celsius outside, Matt. It's freezing. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Literally. Literally. <laughs> well, it was this morning when I when I went to work. It was absolutely frozen solid. I oh, see. Well, the joys about the company that I work for is if you really can't face going outside, you can choose to work from home, which is exactly what I did this morning. So, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I haven't. My nose hasn't been outside at all once today. That's yet. one option I don't have. Is to work no, from home. No, it's a bit difficult to do deliveries from home, isn't it? It would yeah. be, yes, <laughs> yes. But but I, I must admit, I've probably done what you used to do, Matt, when you, on your coach driving days, where you start the vehicle up and then sort of do your bits and pieces, and then by the time you get in the cab, it's lovely. Yeah, you see, the the weird thing is on that one, that didn't work in the coach because they, they don't heat up. I mean, you, you, oh. they they don't even, you know, they've one of the ones I used to drive, it didn't used to warm up until you got back from your lowest off school <laughs> run, um, which is a bit pointless, really. But anyway, that's, that's it's we're off topic slightly. Yes. I know, I know. Well, it's yeah. a bit Co- of coats we're, were, yeah. Coats were very much the required uh, garment for uh, for working in coaches. But, it, but it, before we move on, it's safe to say we haven't had in the dreaded snow yet we don't get snow here anyway oh i know we get snow exactly exactly and joining us again this week from across the hills vales and dales of the uk in his stately mansion in buckinghamshire it's neville bounds yes here i am again Uh, no flying this week but uh a lot of driving though but that uh, heated steering wheel in the focus st is uh, particularly good although i can't imagine the drain on the battery uh, <laughs> it, it happens with it but uh, no it's very good this week lots of driving and uh, everybody is back i was in london a couple of times this week and it is chocker block oh wow really trains and uh, yeah it's just like we're back to february 2020 it seems so yeah, uh, yeah amazing Oh, sounds, sounds good. Now. So no flying this week, didn't there? Uh, not this week, no. A uh, cu- couple of weeks off and then back to uh, Edinburgh again the week after next, I think. Yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. And also uh, back with us again this week, but not at home this week. It's our resident pilot of everything that flies, including the paper airplane. It's Armando. I don't know what that means, Carlos, but yes, I'm also uh, not working from home. I am a, in a private aircraft terminal in an undisclosed location in the southeast United States. Uh, today is a fly day, so I'll be here as, as long as I can until my passengers show up and then I have to jet off. <laughs> in the aircraft of choice, which is? Uh, today is Pilatus. Ah, okay. Sierra Tango? Sierra Tango. Oh, excellent. Oh, I miss that aircraft. 
Anyway. You, you've been in it once and you got I to like know. playing with the controls once. It's like you're acting like the damn thing belongs to That's you. That's all now. you need. It's <laughs> all you need. You just need to sit in an aircraft once and you right. feel like you should, Okay. Uh, I mean the owner may be a little less impressed by that, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. The owner was a little less impressed by the uh the excitement uh, that you left in this in the right seat of that airplane. No, oh, I'm oh, 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 I'm oh, that's it's... unpleasant. Oh, yum! Come uh, on, it's my, my first it is your, time. My first it's your time seat from now air... on, Carlos. Yeah, absolutely. first time yeah. flying an aircraft that travels more than ninety knots. Should have bought it at home. Yeah, absolutely. Oh well, I mean, you, you could have t- you could have put some wheels on it, turned it into your new office chair. Then by the sound of it, yeah. Do you, do you, know, do you know what? Just quickly, I looked online the other day for a model to add to the four thousand I have here right. um, next to me in the office here. I tried to find a model of a Pilatus, and I, I found them, but they're like, they're nearly as much as the one that Armando flies. And these are models. They're not cheap. Yeah. Well, Pilatus it's Swiss made, and cheap. nothing Swiss made is cheap. So oh, even the models are made in Switzerland out of, I don't know, something. I'll keep Swiss. searching. Chocolates. <laughs> anyway, hey, moving guys, on from uh, can, yeah, We've got can a guest. I... We've got a guest. Introduce our guest, Armando. I would love to introduce introduce our guest. So I've known this man for uh, 30 years almost now. Um, We met in, actually, we met on November 4th, 1994. I remember that date. Um, So if you guys can do the math. John Jester uh, from Northern Virginia. That's where we met. We were in the Civil Air Patrol there together. We've both been in the Civil Air Patrol for just as many years. And he was a... Uh, instructor, a flight instructor, a pilot, a mission pilot for the Civil Air Patrol. He went on to do a uh, the beginning of his professional career at a regional airline associated with uh, United Airlines. Um, I think you were Columbia-based, right? Oh, Chicago. Chicago-based. Um, there you go. And then he moved on from there and is now a 747 captain at Acme Giant, which is what we're going to stick with today. And uh, he's here to talk to us a little bit about um, the cargo industry we've been talking about for the last oof, 18 months, 24 months, as they've boomed while everybody else kind of suffered. So I'm looking forward to that here in a few minutes, Carlos. Yeah, welcome on to the show, John. Great to have you uh, on board with us and in the chat room as well, which is always good and handy to have. And in note of the chat room, a big hello to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube chat room uh, this evening. We're going to have a quick delve through the list of people who have joined us in there this evening. And we have got, here we've got Dirk S. Hello to you, Dirk. Nick Codling, Richard Adams, Jacob Darlington-Brown. I dread to think what time it is where you are in the uh, in the world. Uh, Pilot Logan Lynch, hello to you. Graham Haley as well is also in the uh, in the chat room this evening. Uh, we've got Tony S in the chat room. Masha is also in the chat room. And uh, Jenny, uh, Uncle Micah is also joined us in the chat room this evening. Loads of the family members in there. Great to see everyone in the chat room this evening with us on the show. And Sturman as well. Hello to you, Sturman. Uh, evening to you. And Tony S is actually in there as well. I just looked up at the top of the list there. Tony S is in there as well. So welcome to you and welcome to everyone. Don't forget, if you are listening to this uh, show as an audio podcast and you want to check out what we all look like on camera, uh, which is something you all should do, uh, no. check us out on YouTube. <laughs> Find us on there, Plain Talking UK on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon, which is right next door uh, to be notified when we are live and 
play, uh, recording a new live show as we are at the moment. And join us in the chat room because it's good fun. It's damn good fun. So uh, I suppose we just hand things over to Armando then to, uh, to kick off our chat with our special guest. Yeah, thanks, Carlos. First of all, John, how are you? Uh, good. I should say, Huyamorka, Huyavend, Huyavatjivil, Alamal. So they come out to Netherlands vandaag. Bless you. Sorry. All right. Well, I'm a hoot. I'm a hoot. Sorry. I'm a hoot. You're a hoot. We're all a hoot here. I'm guessing you're not based in the UK, John. No, no. So yeah, I'm home. Uh, I'm home today uh, uh, next to the uh, Schiphol Airport. In, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, base-wise, I'm actually based in Anchorage, so all side of the world. Wow. Okay. So let's jump right into that. How does that work? You you live in the Netherlands. You're based in Anchorage. What it, what is that commute like? That um, takes a couple of minutes. Um, it has the novelty that I can go either direction, and it takes about the same amount of time. Um, my Acme Giant operates two flights a week through uh, Schiphol and uh, goes to uh, Incheon, Korea, and then I can connect the flight back up to Anchorage. So I can go that direction if I choose, or I'll go westbound most almost every time. Uh, and uh, I'd set to jump seat, which is something uh, the, the European carriers are like, what? Uh, yeah. Get myself over to the US, and then I can uh, get a ticket purchased by my company to work the rest of the way. And if I don't work it in Anchorage, if I'm say starting a trip in uh, Miami or Dallas or Chicago, oftentimes there's, I'm able to get a ticket cheap enough that they'll buy it for me from here, which is much nicer. Oh, wow. When you're, when you're, uh, I guess, traveling on your own company aircraft going that way around the world, what is, is, do you get a seat? Is there crew accommodations? Are there extra accommodations? Yeah, so the nice thing about the queen is uh, she's got a bubble, and the bubble is the cruise. Uh, and we keep four seats uh, on the 400s, and they have uh, six seats on our Dash 8s that are uh, basically like the old business class seats that you would have seen in the 90s. And uh, they recline pretty far. There are various styles of uh, racking out in those seats. And then we also have two bunks. So uh, from here to Inchon's a three-man crew normally. So if uh, if you want, usually you can grab a bunk and pass out there. It's a nice way to get across the world. Yeah, I can imagine that's a, a nice, comfortable way. If you're not on a commercial airliner, it's your own people, you'll probably just hang out in your bathrobes, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can wow. fly in my... Uh, <laughs> We, we fly sometimes that way. Uh, it is not uncommon uh, at Acme Giant to uh, get up and cruise and somebody jumps up to go get uh, coffee and they come back in sweats and a t-shirt. Uh, I, I know definitely when I'm someplace in a warm conditions, uh, I get to the top of the stairs. That's my top of climb. I take the shirt off. It gets hung up for... Uh, use at the other end and i fly in a t-shirt and uh once i get the cruise it's a t-shirt and the uh, hotel slippers <laughs> wow that sounds it's much more comfortable kind of been a, i'm a little jealous about that <laughs> yeah actually uh, actually can i yeah, it's a different lifestyle go ahead 
I was, I was going to say, I, I've got so many questions. I can't not take advantage of the fact that because you and Armando have known each other for an alarming amount of time. And I, I, the first question I have to ask is, how did you two meet each other? How did your paths cross for the first time? So uh, I had joined Civil Air Patrol in uh, 1992. And I made the mistake of telling them that I had been in Boy Scouts. Okay. Uh, and then they said, well, hey, we have this cadet program. Could you help out over there? And I said, sure. Okay. So I got over the cadet program and then uh, ran it with a nice, very nice guy uh, there. And then he had a child of his own and new job. So all of a sudden, I found myself in front of the cadets in charge of the cadet program, which was spectacular. And then uh, I met Armando later on. As he joined as this uh, very skinny, skinny, skinny <laughs> Puerto Rican kid who had a really funny uh, laugh, but he had a better sense of humor. And he just, we just clicked. There was a really incredible group of cadets around that time frame. And Armando was definitely one of them that uh, I still maintain contact with. And uh, Armando just, yeah, he just, wormed his way under your skin yes he, he does that to a lot of people to be fair i shared it i shared it at his retirement when we were when we had uh jeff and uh stuff we were all kind of screaming over the uh the party going on but uh you know, he still remains the only cadet who i ever f-bombed when he told me he was enlisting into the uh, air force because I was so mad at him <laughs> for enlisting. I was just because I cared about him that much. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and if you ever seen the uh scenes from Full Metal Jacket with Arlie Ermy going off on somebody, that was kind of what I was doing. And uh a good mutual friend uh, of ours, he was the leadership officer and he, he had saw me drag Armando back into a back office and kind of trailed behind and listen to me just go off about it him uh enlisting and then uh you know he i basically laid an ultimatum for armando to look me in the eyes and tell me he wasn't ready to go into the you know college and he said he wasn't and i said get out of my face and he walked out <laughs> and, and uh jean andre our really uh, dear friend uh fall behind him just go you know he loves you so yeah he knew i think but yeah. uh yeah I, I, Even the cadets that caused the forest fire did not get f bombed. <laughs> he got it. So I, I, it's I, like I, uh, like so many people that we interview here. That you know the the civil air patrol here in the U.S. is the equivalent of the air cadets over there in the U.K. and, and all the all the other countries that are that we have listeners in. And I mean, what John's not saying is I was a terrible student. I was I was almost <laughs> failing out of school. So I didn't have a lot of options. And at the time, I was actually working for Atlantic Coast Airlines as a ramp rat. Um, and I saw that. And I said, one day I'm going to be there. Um, but for me, enlisting in the Air Force was was a way to get out of Washington, D.C., where we were living and kind of do a reset in life, which obviously turned out well, right? because those 22 years went by so fast and everyone that John is talking about showed up 
to my retirement or I saw them shortly afterwards. Wow. You know, um, some of those, you know, Lee, one of our, my best friends and, and another protege of John, we, uh, they came to the, to the retirement ceremony 22 years later, but it, I mean, it felt like just a, a couple of weeks, didn't it, John? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I remember at one point you said you were going, um, off grid, uh, um, for your work. And, uh, I think I left it with, uh, don't get dead. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. 10 years, 10 years later, you know, he finds me on Facebook and goes, do you remember me? And I'm like, yes. Hell yes. <laughs> and, wow. uh, he's like, oh, I'm coming back to the States. Uh, you know, I'm going to the air force research lab and I'm like, Holy cow. You know? Yeah. So, Wow. And I met up yeah. with him, and he was not that skinny Puerto Rican kid anymore. Was... No. Still Puerto Rican. Just not <laughs> like big buff, big buff uh, special ops Puerto Rican. So oh, I see. Yeah. All right. Now, Very impressive. So, I mean, obviously, you've mentioned like the Civil Air, uh, Civil Air Patrol. That was obviously something that was uh, a big thing for you as well. But I, I, no- I noticed I'm looking at the list of other things that you've done, for, like flight instructor um, and uh, Acme Giant, obviously, which you've already mentioned there, and Air Winds. Winds, Winds Wisconsin, sorry, that's my putting my teeth in. Try that again. Uh, I mean, that that's that's quite the CV that that you've uh, amassed already. So yeah, I mean, I guess I could give you the the quick bullet on myself. Uh, yeah. So yeah, questions will probably pop up. When do I want to learn how to fly? Or when do I want to knew I wanted to fly? I was like three. <laughs> my parents said I've never talked about anything other than that. Um, and. Uh, Back in the days, in the 70s, there used to be the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and in the back of it, there'd be, like, model airplanes that you could fly, and I was like, I want one of those, I want one of those. You know, they were, like, $600 in the 70s, so, wow. you know, obviously, that didn't happen, but, you know, I, I kept through with that all the way, and then um, when I got out of uh, college, uh, I had my private pilot license I'd gotten between my junior and senior years of uh, university, and, and then... Uh, thought, well, I'll try to go into military. I didn't work because it was the 90s in Clinton. And then I moved on and got a job right away working on the ramp for United Airlines, uh, loading bags uh, in the Dulles Airport. That uh, did for about eight years. And finally, I was like, okay, I got to commit to this. And I went out to Arizona, finished up uh, the rest of my ratings out there at one of the uh, puppy mills and uh, instructed, flew for Colgan, uh, where Armando's father was the director of training to, just to make things cross paths. My ground instructor was a uh, squadron commander from the adjacent squadron. So I was a good stead there. So I flew a Saab 340 for a year and a half. And then I went on to Atlantic Coast where Armando was, which turned into Independence Air. Pulled this shirt out of the historic pile. And... Um, <laughs> Flew the CRJ at uh, Independence Air up in Chicago. It was Atlantic Coast at the time. And then uh, got furloughed. And uh, I, when I got furloughed, I just gotten engaged. So I thought employment would be important. So I went back as a ramp manager. So I was a ramp manager at O'Hare. Switched down to Dulles again. I was ramp manager there. Then I switched over to a crazy job in maintenance for doing maintenance quality assurance. So I did that for two and a half years. Learned a ton. Mechanics did not think the same as pilots, that was for sure. I learned that. And then um, moved on when uh, Independence Air shut down, went to Air Wisconsin, flew there for 10 years. First five as an FO, second five as a captain. And I went to Acme Giant 
to escape the East Coast and its craziness of flying. And uh, because my wife's a, a Nederlander, uh, so being gone so much, it's much better for the family for her to have some support from her family and you know schools and stuff are really good here. So now I commute from uh, afar and fly to 747. And I also serve uh, in both the uh, last company and this company on the uh, union safety committee as a chief accident investigator. So wow. done a couple of things. Yep. And, and if you guys remember, we had a uh, contribution from John when um, there was that mishap down in Houston a, a couple of years ago mm. now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what a, what a, it's like one of those careers that you hear about and it's, I guess kind of common, but everybody in aviation has their own journey. And I guess one of the things that I've discovered is that everybody's journey to where they are now is super interesting. Now we could, we could probably just sit there, you know, we, we came up with some questions here about the, uh, and just talk about experiences at each one of those operators and how different they were and um, what you learned and what you took away and, and how does that flow into your next job? Um, but so here you are flying, that Acme giant flying cargo around the world. Is that, is that what you wanted to do? Is that, did it fall into your lap and now you're happy with it? What do you, you know, how did that fill into your life goals? I'd say it fell into my lap and I'm happy with it in terms of cargo. Um, the current ride is, uh, if you'd ask 12 year old John, what do you want to do? I am doing exactly that. Uh, flying 747 is absolutely what I wanted to do from very young age because, uh, I mean, it's cool. So uh, that that's definitely been the case. That the, the path has been long and windy and not the way I expected or planned at all. Uh, but I've taken away incredible things from each one of those little career path sections there. Uh, you know, even from the ramp, that even still plays a factor in my daily job because I understand what kind of problems they're having. And I shock them every once in a while by going, well, do this and it will work. And then it usually does. So, you know, it's kind of funny how that, uh, it all does play together. Um, in the, all the experiences you build up, you mm. know, knowing how things are supposed to be done or knowing yeah. people are not doing it the right way. They're shortcutting. Yeah, it is. It is. I'll agree with that. After working the ramp, um, you, you were for United, I was for United Express at the same airport. You definitely learn a lot about what ground operations are supposed to look like, and you can identify what ground operations uh, need some help when you pull into an airport somewhere, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can remember somewhere in the first maybe week that I was turned loose to work on the line without a, a direct training a guy. I had the, the lead who was the, in charge of the, the gate was a old old united guy and he had been there since dc3s were a regular operation and i had to jog to get something out of the way and get in position when the airplane was pulling in and i got chewed out because i was jogging and he was like son we don't run around here because someone's mm -hmm. going for the fire behind you <laughs> and that registered hard because you looked at our ramp and nobody ran everybody looked yeah. like they were in slow-mo but we could turn a, a 747 in 45 minutes. We'd be usually waiting on the gas to be put on the airplane, but we could get offload and onload 
all the baggage, all the cargo, not running, not stressing, not talking. Because uh, we pulled up our own paperwork, and usually you, your lead would sit there and point to his nose or point to his butt, and you knew where to put the stuff. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, you know, unloading and all that. You looked at where everything was on the on the plane. You got all your equipment set up before the plane showed in order for it to come off off the plane. So you literally, you know, preparation was a big thing, and that's something I I find brutally painful nowadays in my job is that it looks like it's the first day every day uh, nowadays. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you find a place where it's working out. But well, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Um, you know, we we have these questions that you and I kind of came up with, but there's the chat room's already asking some questions. Um, Nick has two of them, which is, what is your favorite airport to fly into and why? And have you ever landed at Kaitak? Kaitak, unfortunately, was gone and even removed from the simulator uh, before I could get the opportunity to try to do that. Favorite airport is still probably Washington Reagan, doing the river visual. Uh, One, growing up around D.C., I'd watch the fireworks at the Pentagon or, or right by the uh, the monuments, and you watch the planes winding down there, and I was like, that oh, looks so cool, and sit there at Gravely Point and have the planes come right over your head. So when I was at Air Wisconsin, I was Reagan-based. So I got to do that approach in all kinds of weather, and <laughs> I flew that approach for free every single time. You did not pay me at all to ever fly that approach because I just loved it. Yeah. A beautiful approach too. I mean, the weather, especially in the spring when the uh, cherry blossoms are out, I mean, you cannot beat it. Yeah, I used to sit out there as a kid too, um, <laughs> right, right underneath the approach path. Um, so I want to go uh, into the lifestyle of a cargo pilot. So obviously, cargo has been in the news through this COVID pandemic as having you know, been a part of the industry that has thrived while other parts of the industry have really suffered. What are your thoughts on that? Did, did, was the, was the meteoric rise in cargo kind of destined that, what did the pandemic do positively or negatively to do that? And, you know, how, what are your thoughts on cargo and, and COVID? Well, sure. I mean, cargo was already on the way up uh, before COVID e-commerce this whole mentality of uh, just in time has definitely been a big driver in the cargo industry we always were seeing you know that kind of increase you know fedex ups acme giant uh, all these companies were were filling that demand and you know you had amazon developing their prime air and stuff and that was all based on this just in time cargo uh, moving basis there and so it was on the way up and then you tossed in COVID and initially I think all of us saw our career dissipation lights uh, blinking again and then all of a sudden the, the extinguished and the uh, holy S get your butt in the seat light came on and we were flying everywhere all, you know I, I flew in that first six months probably uh, twice as much as I had in the previous year it was an insane amount of operations and flying really full airplanes, which uh, drove incredible profits for the, the cargo companies, uh, Acme Giant included. Uh, we saw you know, some of the, the 
highest revenue quarters in the last three, four quarters recently, uh, all based on this, this uh, incredible breakdown of the, uh, the logistics streams from shipping to trains to trucks, you know, now airplanes are short of staff uh, with all the hiring going back on in the passenger airlines. And, you know, cargo was paying so much that the passenger airlines were flying empty airplanes. Mm-hmm. I commuted on paid tickets that were $200 straight off the street, not discounted tickets, $200, $300 between uh, Amsterdam and JFK, essentially because they were moving the airplane with cargo. And I'd yeah. be like one of six people on the airplane. Did, did those kinds of profits and revenues um, industry-wide, not specific to, to your company, but did that translate over into increased pay or benefits or profit sharing or anything like that? In uh, profit sharing, we, we saw profit sharing. Other companies saw profit sharing. Um, I think the passenger airlines, they, they all took a big gut blow. But the cargo airlines, we all took a great windfall. Um, Coletta came out with a new contract, jumped their pay up quite a bit. We just uh, implemented a new contract, not through negotiation, but through award from a arbitrator. So we had a big battle with them, but uh, pays definitely even jumped up for us. And uh, they're offering, you know, bonuses to not take your vacation and uh, bonuses for flying into China and all kinds of stuff. So it's, there's a lot of money out there to be made in the cargo industry now. Uh, it's definitely changed its uh, nature. Yeah. And and you brought up Kalita. Uh, one of the questions that I had for today was, so we, we all know the big names, UPS and FedEx. And then there's sort of the, the, the lesser known ones because sometimes they fly under other branded airlines. So you have like Atlas, Kalita, Southern Airways. Um, what are, are there major differences between those two? So this is kind of tailored towards somebody that may want to go into a cargo career. Is there major differences between those kind of UPS, FedExes, and the Kalitas of the world? Yeah, there can be quite a bit of difference. Uh, the FedEx and UPS part, they, they operate as their regular scheduled runs for themselves. And the rest of us are operating under what's called ACMI, so Aircraft Crew Insurance and Maintenance, um, or CMI, where maybe an operator like um, Amazon owns their aircraft and then they contract out with a company to operate them for their on their behalf. And in that part of the world, yeah, the pay is a little bit less. You may work a little bit more in terms of days but you know it's a little more scrappy. Uh, there are um, the corrosion corner airlines of Miami, they call it, um, where you know there are a couple of jets that are operating on the sides, picking up stuff here and there. And you know they're pretty rough outfits to work for in terms of you know you get stuck on the road for maybe 36 days in a row, which would you know I can't even imagine, um, or you know, you get the Colettas uh, and the Atlases of the world that are a little bit more standard operating procedure, uh, doing, you know, ones that you usually see doing military contracts as well are going to be yeah. a little more consistent. So, you know, Omni comes to mind um, with along with Coletta, Atlas does as well. Southern is no more. They got merged with just, Atlas. So just to, just to be- have... Just an interesting question from Mark in, in the uh, oh, who sent a question in via 
the WhatsApp number there. And and Carlos, I think you might you might sort of uh, relate to this a little bit too. Is saying uh, are cargo pilots treated like truck drivers of the skies and not necessarily given the same level of respect that their you know passenger flying you know counterparts are. It depends on your country. Let's put it that way, probably most likely. <laughs> in America, um, maybe a little bit. Uh, it, you know, it's it's more about how you carry yourself. You, you get the respect you demand, generally speaking. Fair enough, yeah. And um, I think it's much more given when I'm over in Asia or the Middle East. It's, you know, oh, captain this, oh, captain that. Uh, and in uh, America, I tend to be calling somebody out going, hey, they, uh, there's no food on here. Nobody did the lab. Nobody's uh, finished up the maintenance or whatever. You know, it, it, it seems like it's more of a fight sometimes. But you know, again, it's more respect is is given and and demanded in sort of equal parts oftentimes. And I think it's 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 looked at pretty similar now, especially with the uh, the change in the industry. Yeah, and the, one of the, one of the thoughts that I had jotted down was there's a lot of slander towards cargo flying, <laughs> and I had asked what what myth can you dispel about cargo flying? Did you actually think of one? Yeah, well, I was thinking about it. Unfortunately, a lot of the uh, slander has some truths. It just depends on it's in corners of the industry versus the mainstream industry. And there definitely was always the attitude of uh, cargo pilots, or oh, well, they had DUIs, or they've had trouble with the law or <laughs> crashes and that's generally not the case i mean i don't see that with my certainly not with my company um i have a lot of former military pilots that are uh, coming in uh some a uh, lot of regional pilots i mean my my individual class i started with uh was four guys from my previous airline uh four or five guys from another similar regional airline a uh, handful from uh, some charter outfits, a handful from other ACMI companies, and then uh, like three or four strays from Alaska bush flying. And, you know, we all most we all got through. We all did really well. You know, the people that chose to stay pretty much generally were the chose to stay ones. You know, they were good people. Um, you know, one of my classmates, uh, flew 1900s and jumped to a 7.4 and everybody was like wondering if he was going to do well but he's incredible he's super smart and uh, everybody has a lot of respect for him and he's you know, sort of a favorite person and uh, I think you know, he'd say his name and everybody hits happy yeah we always say we have some we call them our, our three digit and four digit pilots that have been around <laughs> since the beginning they are you know sort of like a grumpy walrus on the beach you don't want to get around them <laughs> Um, right <laughs> it may it may or may not end well for you uh but you know sometimes you just have to to uh stand up to them and say no we're not doing this that's stupid and if you yeah. want to try and do this we're going to get off the airplane uh, so and and rest assured when i was at um doing some training down at delta airlines uh not too long ago um in their recruiting presentation, they actually said that their number one competition is FedEx. Um, so some of these, uh, well, a lot, almost all of these 
cargo carriers are actually part 121 airlines, um, including smaller operators like Mountain Air Cargo. You know, they're, they operate as a feeder for FedEx, but they have an, uh, caravans and ATRs and, and their ATRs are on, on a part 121 certificate, which is the same certificate as, as a major legacy airline, such as Delta American um, or, or regional. Um, and they have actually some of their, they've been known to have some of the strictest and the hardest hiring standards and in interviews like FedEx, you know, they, it's, I don't know if it's a myth or not, but, but people say that interviewing for FedEx is like interviewing for the astronaut program where they're expecting you to, I mean, you know, better than I do. Right. Yeah. So yeah. FedEx definitely has a reputation. Uh, they have these cognitive tests uh, and you could go through some preparation for it and they are pretty tough. Uh, and they, that's just the first day. And if you survive that, then you have to go through, uh, some interview panel interview, uh, situational interview stuff where it's like the Kabarashi Maru um, situation. Well, what do you do? You know, you're between here and there and this, this airport's got a aircraft that's stuck on a taxiway that's impinging on the runway and this airport's got bad weather or whatever. You can barely land there. What do you do? You know, and oh, you're running out of gas. So, you know, their FedEx is pretty tough. Um, and but they're hiring a ton and UPS is hiring a ton and, and we're losing, we're losing pilots left, right and center to, to all those carriers like that. You know, UPS, FedEx are, um, are major, um, blood suckers off of our, uh, pilot group. You know, they, they, you look at a class of new hires and there's probably three or four from Acme there. Uh, but we're also losing them to the mainline uh, majors and stuff because we, we had getting a lot of regional pilots come in, and they missed the um, missed the uh, flying with the passengers or with the with the uh, flight attendants or whatever they 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 want or they just want to have a, a shorter commute and so they're jumping over ship over there. Plus the pay has just gone insane. You know, it's um, yeah. You can go yeah, to, the pay uh, and the bonuses at at both regionals um, and majors is is significantly changed over the past twelve months. I suppose. Yeah, definitely. So, it's not even the same. Yeah. I think back to your, your days at Colgate, right? By the way, oh, I, I had for, I'd forgotten that my dad was the director of training at, at Colgan when you were there. <laughs> yeah. I remember he came around and he goes, where's this John? I'm like, I'll hand up and, uh, you know, and he started letting into me and then he goes, I, I'm Armando's dad. And I was like, Oh my God, really? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I saw a few questions in the, the line there. So, yes, I know Rick from uh, <laughs> the other show. And, uh, yes, I fly into Sydney a lot. Very beautiful place to fly into. Uh, definitely enjoyable. Sometimes challenging with the winds, though. I lost some of the other questions. Too many of y'all in there. I don't know how you guys do this all the time. There's a... Four of us usually, and then producer John is is uh, feverishly typing in the background and talking into our ear. Oh Lord, I don't he's he's not that. here today. But... <laughs> yeah, doesn't um, yeah. Actually, John, looking looking at the aircraft that you fly, the seven four. You obviously, you've got the uh, dash four hundred and the dash eight in your fleet for the you know, for the cargo outfit that you fly for. But obviously, yeah, I take it you're, you're um, you fly both or both models 
of the 7.4, the Dash 8, and the Dash 400. Correct. Yeah, yeah. They, they are... How, you know, how similar flying, are they for flying? Almost exactly identical. Uh, the the Dash 8, and thank you for calling it a Dash 8, not a 800, because there is no 800. <laughs> um, the Dash 8 has an electronic checklist, and it's got the big motors, uh, which are the same motors as a 787. And um, it had some isms for a while when we first when I first came here, or you know, we had to start each engine individually, but that was about the worst of it. Yeah, it was something to do with logic and electrical switching and blah blah blah. They fixed it. Um, and uh, its biggest difference that that plane has from the 400 is that wing is really slick. So a uh, 400 will come in, we'll do a three to one um, glide slope in and with a dash eight, we'll do about a four to one glide slope. That's a um, much harder to slow down plane. Um, you have to plan out your descents. I tend to artificially force the uh, aircraft to uh, start a descent earlier. So it's a shallower descent. So it's a some energy management thing. And then the weights are just, it carries a lot more. You know, we're larger, heavier, um, and all that translates into just sort of a little more thought process onto particularly landing it. What's the training like going into a seven? I mean, we all we all imagine oh. seven forty seven as the queen of the skies, right? What's what's the training like to go into an airplane like that? Um, I would like to say it was clean and organized. It was not terribly clean and organized. Um, it tended. It was sort of like he showed up. They threw a pile of books in front of you and sort of gave you a, a schedule for the next week. And that changed about five times through the week. And then uh, yeah, you started reading and studying. And we did a lot of CBT, a lot of computer-based training. That was just like death by PowerPoint um, trying to slam through. At certain points, I probably had my laptop and my iPad running simultaneously probably the laptop probably had two different browsers running so i could run the program on <laughs> both browsers to just because a lot of us is monotonous you you know you can only hear the pressure of the the hydraulic system so many times before you want to shove a <laughs> you know given, the, given, the choice, given the choice john between a dash 400 and a dash eight which is which is um your personal favorite or are they both as good as each other they're both pretty good. Um, it, my preference is the 400 because um, if I could beat the Boeing engineers over the head over the design of the galley and the lav on the Dash 8, I would. Um, somebody at a uh, freight company that happens to be near Luxembourg, we'll leave their name out of it, decided to put the galley sideways in you know along the long access so all the doors open uphill towards the front of the airplane the bathroom door opens backwards towards the back of the airplane and then you're constantly fighting doors an 08 then you have the sink in the galley that drains uphill so just to say it just basically doesn't fully drain ever and then <laughs> All of the water in the whole system requires air pressure. And if you lose the galley water or the potable water, you lose everything. 
So if the system like the pump fails to uh, work, then you have nothing to wash, no way to wash your hands, no way to flush the toilet, no way to make coffee, no way to make hot water, and your oven will still work, but in a different, you know, sort of degraded mode. <laughs> I mean, and I, oh wait, you're still fighting the doors the whole time, and they put the dog houses with the food. They put one behind the other. So you're constantly like if you're starting to sleep in the back, all you hear like about every hour is bang kachunk, kachunk, kachunk. <laughs> Where is this? Kachunk, 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 slam, slam. And then maybe the oven start. And you know For, coupled with a bit of mild swearing and I'm and gonna try and, uh, put, put this as gently as I can, John, but with the lab, have you got to decide what you're gonna do before you go in there? Um <laughs> No, we 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 have a slightly larger lab than the uh, the max because uh, I've seen that I've experienced that that is an experience. Um, but no, our our lab it's mostly that the door opens aft, so when you're flying across the middle of the ocean where it is pitch black and you're trying to enjoy the colors of the Milky Way because you can literally see the colors of the Milky Way it's so dark. Then somebody goes to the bathroom and you're just blinded by all this light that comes into the to the flight deck because the curtains, you know, not stopping the light or you didn't have the curtain open or closed. And it's just like, why? Why did you do this? Why? <laughs> why not? Why not open it the other direction? Why did you have to put it there in the first place where it's on the other side of the airplane on the 400? There's so much better in the 400 than that. that is, way. is it true what I've read online, John, that, um, that the standard of food quality that you guys get with on cargo aircraft is far superior to that that um, crews get on commercial airliners? Or is that just a myth? Mostly myth, I would say. We get uh, okay. larger quantities. <laughs> um, we, we have um, a phrase I can't fully use without revealing the official name of the company. <laughs> but uh, describes the body, the body by name of airline, uh, because we in our contract have requirements for at least two sandwiches per every four hours. So, you know, a lot of our flights are 12. So do math. And then uh, anything over four hours is a hot meal. Anything over eight hours is two hot meals, mm. plus the drinks, plus. And so you can open up a galley and you're just like, uh wow you know that's a lot of food genuinely <laughs> genuinely next time we're, we're um renegotiating the ptuk contracts i think we should definitely have a food quota in there i think that's a, a very important i'll give you thing. i'll give you a yeah. copy of that section of our contract <laughs> yes please that would be marvelous <laughs> but john but john never has to fish no no <laughs> i actually don't have i actually don't have the fish but um <laughs> but not that is that. actually one of our popular meals out of alaska because oh, I can see that yeah. it is. Everybody says it's actually good. Like people will fight over the fish on that flight. So, <laughs> Hey Nick. guys. Uh, uh, well, oh. I know you, you're going to continue on the interview, yeah. but I've got to go ahead and take off, get the airplane ready. Um, yep. So quick flight home, John, thank you so much. I'm going to try to listen to this um, as soon as it's over on my drive home. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for, uh, being a loyal listener to the show and a good friend of mine for so many years. Um, but the, uh, the guys are going to carry on this interview and, and I don't know, dispel all these myths about cargo pilots. I can't <laughs> we're wait to start listen. talking about you now. I'm on. Yeah, there. absolutely. Now you're going, yeah. Now we're going nope. to, yeah, we're going to get the real story be here now. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get the real Hopefully story. Hopefully not. Now. Matt, Matt yeah. already de derailed the script. 
He went yeah. off script. He never goes off I'm script. I'm like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know, but we can't. Right, we can't have somebody who knows you that well and not take it as an opportunity to get some some more stories out of you. Anyway, you need to go, mate. Thank you for joining Matt, us. Thank you, we'll, Armando. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Take Matt, think of yourself as a 14-year-old and what you would tell that person. Oh, many, <laughs> many things, indeed. All right. <laughs> take, care. take care, guys. Yay. See you Bye. later. Uh, uh, just but while, while we're here, uh, Dirk S. is making an excellent suggestion that uh, our new contract should have every 10 minutes is one beer, according to PTUK host standards. I think, yeah, that's I think that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Nev, you've got a few questions for, uh, for John? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, John, um, in terms of the, the crewing of aircraft with cargo ops we, we hear a lot about the loadmaster uh, very often on television documentaries and that kind of stuff is it the same person that does that job uh, or do you rotate that role uh, if you've got three crew for example how, how does that work so uh, loadmasters in the faa world have become a their own thing they're they're a dedicated um i think there's maybe even certificated individual that that comes out of that national airlines crash in bagram which uh was i mean it's so that that was such a horrific event uh i literally have only watched that video once i, I refuse to watch it it's uh so they they we have um different types of load masters we have load masters that are sort of station based for our regular station so you know someplace like anchorage we have a handful or more of uh these load masters that uh, work the flights as we come through. But then if we're going downrange, we'd say uh, going down to maybe South America or definitely when we went down to Africa and definitely when we do the military flights, we carry one or two loadmasters sometimes. I um, had the opportunity to go into, uh, I believe it was Kandahar, and pull out a fighter squadron out of there, which comes with just a crazy amount of crazy looking equipment to support them and everything on the main deck was you know heavy awkward and everything had to be strapped down and you know oh yeah we're doing this in the middle of a sandstorm and they just blown up a convoy the day before off the base so you know i learned a lot that day because i i went down with one of the mechanics the flight mechanic and we helped the two loadmasters strap everything down and those guys play a vital role for us. I mean, they, they're honestly the ones that keep us safe. We have a whole dedicated part, department just for special loads. Because we carry weird stuff. Um, I think my first flight down to Africa, we carried like 20 sections of drill pipe. You know, no other plane in the world can do that because it has to go through the front end because they're like 80 feet long. Um, I've carried an IMAX screen down to South America like wow yeah it was most of the airplane you know it was just this one imax screen in the middle um all strapped down a million different ways uh, and and we really depend on those load masks to do it they do all our weight and balance for us they optimize the load as best they can um sometimes they unoptimize the load uh, the other day i had them unoptimize it because it was icy and i wanted weight on the nose see the uh, air china baggage can attack video um so i said hey you know load this thing up i, I would rather be really nose heavy I'll, I'll take extra gas but oftentimes we run really on the back side of the the, uh, the weight and balance curve just to stay fuel efficient because um, the you know, the more acg we can remain throughout the flight the better we are on fuel burn 
gives us a better range, more more time on station if we need a hold when we get to the far end. Yeah, I mean, the CG is absolutely critical, isn't it, in, in your operation, I would imagine. How much leeway do you have um, in a typical um, flight, for example? It's quite a, quite a bit of leeway. Oftentimes what limits us is size of the cargo per position because the floor has varying weight capacities or weight limits based on where it is and how far it is outside of the center um, data point on the aircraft. And, you know, the heavier stuff oftentimes has to be right dead in the middle. Um, you know, like a, I wasn't here when they did it, but they carried MRAPs, those mine resistant armored personnel carriers, which are like 25 tons a shot. They carried five of those and they had to balance that out on the airplane um, and strap it down and all that. And the floor had to be strong enough. So there was a lot of engineering that went into that. So that's usually oftentimes where our limiting factor is, is the weight of the cargo in its position. Um, you know, we can carry crazy stuff. You know, I've carried 400 cows, 400 pregnant cows from south of Melbourne, Australia, up to Jakarta, Indonesia. I mean, who knew that happened? Um, <laughs> I, I tell you, you kept the door shut for that, the oh, flight deck door shut. Oh, my word. Yeah, that was... Um, <coughs> That was an experience and a half. Oh, and that was with one of the three-digit captains uh, that I, you know was talking about uh, in the past. So, luckily, I was one of the senior guys on the flight, uh, and the two senior FOs. We did the intelligent thing. We said we'll do the walk around. We'll check the uh, the load of uh, cows, sort of, and we stayed away out of the cockpit because it was better outside the cockpit than it was in it. But yeah, the smell was just oh. And it was like 37 degrees. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Normally we put our bags down on the main deck right by the door and they get strapped in down there. When we showed up, the uh, uh, the station personnel had a roll of industrial-sized trash bags. And we put all of our bags into the trash bags, tied them up. Then we walked everything all the way up to the main deck and left everything in the trash bag except for what we needed. We put that on the flight deck. It was a that was an experience. But um, yeah, four hundred pissed off cows was. A... <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> what, what's one of the most like awesome things that you've 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 carried on board? You might not be able to tell us, but what one of them things that you thought, oh man, that is so good. I can't believe we got this on here. Um, carried. Uh... A double stack of Ferrari race cars and a uh, prototype Ooh. car down to somewhere in the Middle East, Bahrain, I think. Uh, that was pretty cool. I've um, the uh, military stuff I've always found to be the most rewarding, though. When we were in Afghanistan, um, you know, I, I didn't mind that there was a risk to it, I didn't mind that it was going to be hot uh, or cold or wet or whatever. Cause I just felt like it was a, it was a worthwhile thing I was doing to support those guys and, um, enjoyed that. And we do occasionally like, the fun stuff, you know, we do charters, uh, for, uh, that other football sport. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the one with the one that uses the hands and, uh, we, we carry them around and that, you know, those are fun flights. I've done the WWE wrestlers, Oh wow! That was bizarre. <laughs> I can imagine. 
was about as bizarre as a TV show. And they were they're filming segments for their their upcoming week show uh, on the ramp at the airport when we landed in Germany. But uh, yeah, it's I mean I, the thing I've always liked about it was the diversity of our operations. First six months I was here, I uh, I flew all six flyable continents for the 747. We can't do uh, well. We could probably land on Antarctica, but nobody has equipment to work us there. So, you know, that's the only limitation we have. But yeah, I was in Africa. I was all over Asia, all over Europe, all over the U.S., down to South America, flying 110 tons of roses up to the states and on to uh, here, actually in the Amsterdam. There's that's two plane loads a week of you know 100 plus tons of roses come up here. Wow. You'll be doing that again soon as well this month. Or not far. Uh, they're already doing it. I think we've already we already started that operation uh, last week or week before. Uh, we like double the flights. Uh, most of it going down to Quito, Ecuador, which is its own special thing because Quito is like eight thousand feet. It's pretty high up, uh, and the approach starts at like twenty thousand feet. And you're that's right at our limit where we could put our flaps out, and you pretty much are putting your flaps out at twenty thousand feet to configure to get on the path, and then you're descending down, not just between mountains, you're descending down between volcanoes that tend to pop their tops, and you're doing this in the weather. And the first time I did it, it was in the weather, and I didn't see a thing. Second time I came down there, it was bright daylight and clear as a bell, and I was like, oh my word, what do we do? Because it was scary, and you're just way below the ridge line so the mountains are up to seventeen thousand feet around you and you're you're dropping down through right by them so um bringing out the roses up to miami and then the you know must be costing you a fortune nev to get all those roses brought over here for uh, mrs nev well at least i'm uh, ahead of the game but it sounds like you've not bothered and it and can i remind you that valentine's day is on monday so uh, get down to the co-op a bit sharpish the co-op garage, wow I, I shall look out garage, i shall look out for yeah, those garage. yellow labels oh yes. really oh i'm ashamed john's john singer what are yellow, what, what's he on about yellow labels yeah yellow tickets yeah basically the cheap aisle <laughs> things that are about to die in this case if it's flowers <laughs> the uh, the very good thing about the Netherlands is that the uh, flowers are everywhere and tend to be cheaper and not so not so crazy as they were like in the U.S. this time of year. You could barely buy a single rose for the cost of a dozen here. So uh, <laughs> at least at least the, at least taking care of that part of the situation is, is a doable function for me. So <laughs> love it. Do you um do you ever fly into um, London Stansted here, uh, John? I have in the past. We used to run a regular flight in there with uh, a Dash 8. The, uh, it was painted up in the Panopena colors back in the day. It was a, a one-off paint job. So I have actually, there is a, somewhere uh, on the YouTubes, there is a video of my landing there. Oh, I was wow. first time I ever got to do that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. I just happened to see it pop up on my feed and said, hey, wait, the airplane and the snippet was the one taxiing out when we landed. So let me... Let me go look, and then sure enough, there I was landing. So yeah, it was a good landing. So love hey. that. Stansted's a awkward airport. The way they handle you, and you're kind of getting routed around the the main London traffic, and they have a lot of restrictions and coming in, coming out. And the same as like here in Netherlands too. They have the same same kind of deal with Schiphol. It's a 
they're all about all about their noise or their environment stuff. Uh, and, and oftentimes I'll look at what their procedures are and I'm like, well, you're kind of making this all worse where you're flying this. But... <laughs> now, the before Nev asks you the all important question that we always ask our um, guests when we have them on, just just a, another one. Is there an airport in the, in the world that when you see you've got a, a, a trip there, you think, oh, no, no. One of Shanghai. those. Okay. Shanghai. Luckily, my uh, visa has expired for China right now, so, and they're not currently renewing them. So, is it what is it? Just purely the approach, or the airport itself, or the handling, or? Yes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a yes. Fair enough. <laughs> it it just, is just yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. And if you ask anyone, if you ask any of my my colleagues, I'd say ninety nine percent would probably agree with me. Wow. It's, it's just wow. a. It's a mess for a lot of reasons that, that for some reason they they think it's a state secret to tell you which arrival you're going to do, which approach you're going to do. Uh, then there's the whole taxiing on the ground. Uh, there's um, the pollution. Uh, it used to be the catering when we do catering there. The stay downtown was okay, but the hotels were always just a little weird. They looked really gorgeous. Uh, Staff was always really nice, but it was always just a little, always just a little weird. And you walk around the city, and it's it's cool, but always just a little weird. One thing I really miss about it is the uh, the market by the uh, Science and Tech Museum, where you got to get uh, all the knockoffs. It was <laughs> if it was nothing else. It was just a, a an extravagantly uh, like fun experience to walk through there. It was just quintessential uh, Shanghai is that market. No, Nev, what have we got to ask John then? Well, uh, two things. Uh, first thing is, uh, thank you very much, John, for your fascinating contribution and uh, the number of people in the chat room that have been saying how much they've been enjoying listening to your experiences. And Dirk says uh, he could listen to these stories for hours. And um, yeah, so could I too. But of course, we do have the uh, the final question to ask you. If you were able to fly any aircraft, whether it was military, civil, uh, currently flying, retired, GA, anything at all, uh, what would that aircraft be? I have been dreading this question since <laughs> Armando warned you. Well. <laughs> Sent me this lovely uh, picture saying, please, uh, to, to try and talk me into this. Um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to maybe cheat. I have two, two distincts. So one prop, one jet. Okay. Prop-wise, prop it's going to be an odd one. Uh, an A1E Skyraider, because it was just a really bad bleeping uh, airplane that could just carry I mean it carried more than a, a B-17 it went through it was designed in World War II flew in Korea shot down airplanes in Korea flew in Vietnam shot down planes in Vietnam bombed the snot out of anybody that got in its way and you know the A-1E could carry nine people it wow. two pilots up in the front and then you could put like seven people in the back and fly it around. It wasn't, you know, wasn't its primary purpose, but it could, it could do that. Just a, a huge uh, uh, engine. Yeah. Huge engine. A beast of a machine. <laughs> yeah. Just, 
just looks cool. I mean, and in, uh, and this size, the older John that's flying 747s now could actually fit in that airplane and not be squished. So there's that. And then, uh, yeah, my my first love of an airplane probably, you know, when I really thought about it, was F-14. And not because of Top Gun, uh, because of the final countdown. So if you haven't seen that one, you got to pull that one out. But uh, that... I got to see that movie with my aunt down in Virginia Beach, which is next to Oceana, which is a large naval air base. Uh, most of the, uh, a lot of the East Coast fighter wings are there. So we watched the movie that had F-14s in it, walked out of the mall where the movie theater was to see two F-14s and a perfectly welded wing going across the parking lot. And I was like hooked. That was a, the best airplane ever. And then... Top Gun came along and it was still cool. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's still cool now. Yeah, I don't care what anybody says. Absolutely. Still cool now. Yeah. Uh, this maintenance hog, but man, I mean, planes. You know, again, sort of like the A1. It, it's really a, truly a, a, really bad piece of kit. I mean, it, it, it was actually you know designed to do both air and ground. They just made it air only in the beginning of expediency and then sort of uh the fighter pilots didn't want to do ground stuff so but then later in its life it became a really good close air support aircraft so wow now i, yeah. lo I love that it's uh uh we do have a, one complaint from somebody who sent us a message via whatsapp by the way uh it says uh absolutely fascinating interview uh unfortunately my tea is now gone cold but the wine is going down well so you know there we go <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Matt, can I can I just share this picture just quickly? Yeah, go on. Um, of uh, the aircraft that that John is just talking about there. Yeah, there okay. we go. That is the Sky Oh Raider. wow! And yeah, it's, that's, it's that's not the 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 family version, but uh, that's the single seat. That's probably an A one D or maybe one A one A. So it's original one. But if you look at what's carried on there, it's got uh, outboard. It's got Looks like uh, rockets and maybe some cans. You know, large rockets, small rockets, and you got some bombs. And uh, silver stuff's probably what would have been napalm, and it could carry more even underneath the, the belly as well. Wow, what a! But if you look, there's also a door in there too, and yeah, behind the cockpit. Did. Yeah. So there were versions that were done for the Navy, uh, for submarine, any submarine warfare. And they were electronic warfare aircraft as well. That, that might have been an electronic warfare aircraft version right there. So, wow. Yes, I'm a geek. So, I'm sorry, <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Absolutely well, nothing um, wrong with that. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on again, John. It's been great to have you on the show, and you're going to stick with us, aren't you, for uh, to to look over some of these stories that have yep. been uh, in the news headlines for this week. Absolutely, so, uh, and now for some verbal commentary instead of my uh, written commentary. <laughs> also, we, we want you to correct us when we make a mistake, which is often. Uh, yes, on I'll, I'll, I'll take on Armando's role for the yeah, day. Absolutely, yes, please do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. Anyway, we better get into it because we're going to run out yes. of time otherwise. So, uh, if everybody's ready. Let's go. Go. Yeah. 
so kicking off this week's first news story. This one comes to us from BrickShow.com. And for those of you who are lovers of Lego, I know oh, I am. Goodness. <laughs> I have lots of Lego, and I also have a Lego airport in the next room, including jet aircraft as well anyway this uh, one is a boeing 747 cockpit by darren jones joins lego ideas first 2022 review stage Uh, like the name says it this is a recreation in scale of the original jumbo jets pilot uh, cockpit Uh, contributor darren jones believes this build could make it a as a lego ideas set based on initial commentators. The setup makes good use of Lego elements from the more advanced building systems. Uh, The result is a cutaway view of the 747 uh, cockpit featuring the instrument panel, seats for the pilot and co-pilot. The beauty is in the amount of detail that Darren has put into the instrumentation, the flight controls, and even the seats themselves. Uh, Movable pilot yokes, control sticks, levers are just some of the technical features of this 747 cockpit build. The instrument gauges and displays may not be one-on-one accurate, but they bring genuine sophistication to the setup. The seats are also movable. Darren Jones also adds a nameplate that is flanked by a male and female pilot minifigures. Uh, the creators see some necessary alterations should the bill be accepted as a Lego idea set, but it must first survive the gauntlet of the first 2022 review stage, which isn't over yet. So this is a design that's been put together by this chap, Darren Jones, as an idea to put into production to, for, uh, for Lego to release. Uh, thoughts, guys? Nev? <laughs> I like it. it. Yeah, like it very much. And uh, the detail is amazing, isn't it? Especially the you know the, the cockpit itself. I mean, that's obviously as a as a driver of one of these, John. What what are your thoughts on uh, on this? I, I, look, I had to get on the bigger screen, but I see a, a potential for a much lower cost procedure trainer there for the, uh, <laughs> with the cockpit. But, yeah, uh, I was amazing. noticing the pilots there. I think I, I think I resemble one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, actually, actually someone's yeah, all Sims from from now on are going to essentially become you know built out of Lego off the back of this. I love actually, it. Richard Adams <laughs> and uh, Tony S in the chat room said uh, that. Was, uh, Richard has said, "There's Captain Nick," and then Tony S is saying, uh, "That is a Lego Captain Nick." Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Can't disagree with that. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, they if they do release this, I might yeah. have to have it. I might Indeed. have to have one. Anyway, right. I, we better, we I would, would definitely have to have one. So. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I didn't have my son to help me build it because there's no way I'd be able to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a unique skill, isn't it? This whole Lego, this whole Lego thing. It's something I was never very good at. I, I had, I had Meccano. Uh, that was you never of... had Lego Technical. No, 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 Technical. No, 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 no. One of my, <gasps> one of my friends had it. One of my friends had Lego. Uh, but anyway, we better move on. Uh, this story comes from the Independent.co.uk, and the headline is: Take the Red Eye Airbus A380 plane to be transformed into a hotel. Ooh, av geeks can soon experience the high life while staying grounded as a former Airbus engineer is converting a retired A380, the world's largest passenger plane, into a hotel. Uh, Frederic Deleuze uh, plans to open the new digs in a unique super jumbo jet parked near Toulouse Airport with openings slated for 2024. Uh, He wants the project to be a tribute to this wonderful aircraft 
aircraft, which is nearly a religion for all Airbus employees, he told the points guy. Uh, I love challenges and discovering new things continuously. Also, I uh, always had in mind to create my own business. Having brought the aircraft, which I can only imagine how much that must have cost, for an undisclosed sum... Uh, Deleuze wants to transform the interior into 31 rooms, including two suites, one in the cockpit and one in the upper deck. Uh, the hotel's prices won't be sky high either. Rates are expected to be around about £92 a night, with suites costing 258 The property is being marketed to appeal to the curious, to enthusiasts, but also to tourists and professionals looking for marked originality and comfort. Uh, in-flight meals can can be enjoyed in an adjacent 60-cover restaurant attached to the aircraft. This will serve up high-quality bistro cuisine and will be integrated into a building using the metaphor of a control tower, according to a press release about the project. Uh, produce will be locally sourced as much as possible and waste kept to an absolute minimum. Now, I really love this story. Uh, it's, uh, I mean... More and more people are doing this, aren't they? I mean, Nev, obviously, you had a, uh, you were involved in a, in a in a project, weren't you, where somebody was uh, sort of turning an other one into like some offices and things for like well, yes, the and uh, stuff. the seventy yeah. seven uh, down in the uh, the west part of England here, yes, uh, and there seems to be a bit of a theme here, isn't there? Yeah, people reusing aircraft for. Uh, what should we say on the ground activity rather than flying the thing absolutely um, so, uh, and, and, and yeah even i mean and i'm not, you know we all know that i'm not the biggest sort of like fan of flying and stuff but i would be fascinated to see mm. ha having been i've only ever been on an a380 on the ground and they are massive aren't they they're the most ridiculously mm. i'm sure thing. there's a isn't there a 74 hotel near you um john somewhere in Across your yeah, side. Corridon has a 7-4 they took out of uh, service and they uh, trucked over to their hotel on the other side of the freeway from the airport. But uh, in this regards, I'm really happy to see this uh, happen because one less flying forehead to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, time to move on. Nev, <laughs> Nev, you've got the uh, you've got the all important story this week. Uh, this is uh, major news. I'm very concerned about this item because it is before the watershed, but uh, we'll, uh, <coughs> we'll give it a go. Oh, wow. it's, um, it's on the independent.co.uk. Uh, the headline says, Airline offers private 45-minute flight for its passengers to join the Mile High Club. Oh, what? Um, an airplane charter business is offering private 45-minute flights for passengers to join the Mile High Club, with the founder claiming it helps people from divorcing, the New York Times reports. For $995, Love Cloud takes couples wanting to become members of the infamous club of people to have sex on board a flying <laughs> aircraft at least 5,280 feet in the air, also known as a mile high, so that they can make their fantasies a reality. The interior of the private jet is decorated with red satin sheets, oh. sex position pillows, <laughs> right. and a custom-made foam mattress for extra comfort, wow. according to the company. Um, couples are promised complete privacy on board the flight, which takes off from Las Vegas, how surprising, uh, with the pilot even wearing noise-cancelling headphones inside the cockpit. Well, they do that anyway, don't they? Right. Uh, once back on land, couples are presented with the Mile High Club VIP certificate cards as proof of their membership of the club. 
Uh, Love Cloud founder Andy Johnson. Right. No pun intended. No. Uh, told the New York Times that the business is good for people's relationships. You come with a smile on your face and you leave with a bigger smile on your face, he said. We help keep people from divorcing. I'll tell you that right now. One couple told the Times that their only complaint that it wasn't long enough. Insert <clears throat> comment here. Uh, uh, Frelima Howard said that her husband lost track of time. And so she never got dressed faster in her life. She said that they were given the flight as a late wedding gift from a friend and enjoyed the more private experience as a member of the Mile High Club. My husband and I joined the Mile High Club, High Club before, so to be able to do it privately was great, she said. It was really nice and exclusive and private. Passengers can also opt for other romantic options, including a one or three course meal or the option to get married or renew their wedding vows in the sky. Mr Johnson said that the Mile High Club package is by far the most popular, with some couples dressing up as pilots and flight attendants as part of the fun. He's also allowed larger groups to take the private flight for an extra $200 per person. Right. Uh, I offer, can we, I offer, can we go to the chat room, please? No, can we go to the chat no room? because almost all of their comments cannot be used. Uh, Tony right. S is asking if they do a three-minute flight. He's asking for a friend. Right, okay. Now, now look. So just uh, taxi, really. Yeah. I, yeah, I, John, John is more... I, 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 need to, I need to... Like, so I, I'm assuming... Because uh, I've been a bit out of the loop this week. I'm assuming that John wasn't present for the uh, production meeting then last night is that correct you <laughs> would you would be right with your assumption because i can't see how this got through <laughs> wow uh, thought, thoughts john uh, right. oh, oh. <laughs> just say no so john many, absolutely so many, so many thoughts <laughs> I, 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 I see this as a, as a as a legitimate service to keep them from doing this on a passenger okay yeah all right because <laughs> I have been on the receipt of a phone call from the flight attendant who was informing me of the activity going on in the back. Right. A Saab three forty, not a big plane. Right. Uh, and and I, I just went, does anybody else notice? No. No. I'm like, just leave him alone. I don't want to know. Yeah. We'll, Having we'll... been a regular passenger on a Saab three forty many times in Sweden, John, I can tell you that the seats are not that comfortable for sitting in, let, let alone it... anything else. <laughs> I a hundred percent agree. I mean, unfortunately, I have yeah, I've, I've had this call or heard of this happening multiple occasions. So I, I um, I'm just sat here. Yeah. I've got every. I've got all my fingers, all my toes crossed that this is the one episode that producer Don John doesn't listen back to. That's <laughs> that's what I'm hoping right now because uh, if he does, there are going to be text messages coming back with some forward swing. I'll do this for you. Moving on. Lovely. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, Matt. This is a. This is what sort of show this is. This Matt. This is a, uh, well, uh, it used to be a family show, but I'm really not sure what's going on now. It was. Anyway, I think you have the next story, mate. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to say anything. Nev chose that one. Anyway, this next story, this comes to us from uh, Aviation Online and uh, Rossier, or Ro Rossier. <laughs> the elaborate asks, is there a safety briefing first? <laughs> oh, my word. 
We, I th- why can we save the chat room and put it on the show notes? Um, the uh, Rossia or Rossia, however you want to say, the Russian uh, airline is to retire. This is sad news, John. So you know we'll, we'll, we'll t- bring you down now. Uh, I'm going to turn my microphone off for the next. Retiring the 747, uh, Russia abandons passenger model. This is uh, Russia's sole Boeing 747 operator, Rossia Airlines. Uh, are going to retire the model by the end of 2024. The airline's fleet now includes nine 747-400s. Um, all of these machines were flown by Transaero originally and following the bankruptcy in 2016 were transferred to Rossia and, uh, by their owners, state-owned leasing companies. And uh, Rossia uses the uh, Boeing 747s for charter flights, destinations sold by tour operator Bilbo Globus. After the final retirement of the 747s and also 10 777-300 wide-body engine uh, 300s, uh, which will remain in service with Rossi's long-haul fleet, which mainly now operates subsidised flights from Moscow to the far east. Uh, Rossi told Atto.reu that the process of retiring the 747s will begin in 2023 and culminate when the last two aircraft leave the fleet in 2024. Meanwhile, the airline is evaluating replacing 747s with long-haul narrow-body aircraft to take over charter operations. However, the final decision has to be approved by the Aeroflot Group. Russia's fleet also includes 20 Airbus A319s, 8 A320s and 12 Boeing 737-800s. The airline has also been uh, designated by Aeroflot Group to operate Russian-made aircraft. Uh, The regional Superjet 100 fleet will increase from 66 to 87 this year. Uh, Its last 10 aircraft will be transferred from Aeroflot's fleet and 11 more will be supplied by the manufacturer. Moreover, Rossier is preparing to become the launch operator for the new MC-21 this year. We've talked about that aircraft on the show before. The first aircraft is scheduled to be delivered to the airline in September this year, and two more in November and one in December. And the Aeroflot Group signed an order for 50 of the MC-21s. So to conclude, when Rossier says goodbye to the 747, the passenger version of this aircraft will leave the Russian market, but the cargo version will remain in the fleet, good news for John, uh, in the fleet for the country's largest cargo air carrier, Airbridge Cargo, part of the Volga Depler Group, which operates the f- uh, four Boeing 747-400Fs and 13 747-8Fs. And Skygate Airlines also flies to Boeing 747-400Fs. Fs, so and uh, they're going leaving there as well now, John. Sad, sad. The uh, as it is. Yeah, it's definitely sad. I saw that paint job on that one with the tiger face. Wow, that's that's amazing. But um, yeah, I mean the, the the passenger versions are not not long for the world. I think the freighters are going to stay around for much longer just because of the nose loading capability. Again, it just it's what differentiates us from anybody else that we can. Uh, carry the really crazy long loads but uh yeah it's sad to always see the one as uh the boeings leave the leave the line as it were but uh it's gonna happen that's like we've always said on the show and the passenger versions may not be around forever but i think the freight versions of the 747 will be in the skies for quite some years to come definitely absolutely 
So, Nev, you've got uh, the next story, a BA story for you, and uh, good news for our listeners in Sydney. Yes, down under. Very happy to report this on the simpleflying.com website. It says British Airways is returning to Australia with its London Heathrow, Singapore, Sydney service resuming, but this time using the 787-9. The first departure to Australia is on March the 27th, at the first day of the Northern Hemisphere's aviation summer season. It'll be followed two days later by the first departure from down under, and the resumption comes after an almost two-year absence and will take off five weeks after Australia opens its border to the fully vaccinated on February the 21st. It should come as little surprise, however, that BA will return to Sydney in March. It had stated its intention for months as far back as last August. However, it's the first time the country's border was confirmed as opening, meaning it will be going ahead, barring any changes for the worse. Uh, the previous announcements were, in, in fact, uh, hopeful statements. Um, we, while all three, uh, all three of these will use uh, dash nines, uh, 787-9s, the A380 is also scheduled and bookable uh, on QF1 uh, from Qantas uh, from June the 19th and QF2 from June the 20th. Uh, as always, it may change. But let's hope it doesn't this time. And on the daily record, uh, BA also announces huge new flight changes as free snacks return for passengers, um, which is about time actually. And uh, in an email to customers issued yesterday, a BA uh, sorry BA CEO uh, Sean Doyle confirmed that the airline will bring back offering customers complimentary water and snacks during short haul flights. Um, BA got rid of its free snacks on the short haul flights going back as far as 2016 uh, forcing passengers to pay for sandwiches remember those buy on board oh, MS yeah. uh, services that they were doing well efforts also being made to Im uh, work on improving the quality of its meals and choice that are uh, served across all of its cabins the airline will continue to provide table service at its branded lounges which was introduced during the pandemic and work is also being made to replace its phone systems to ensure that customers get through to a member of its support team quicker that's been a big uh, complaint uh, this last mm. 12 months certainly. Uh, Mr Doyle said that the phone lines have been overwhelmed by a large number of flyers that were experiencing problems amid the tr complicated travel restrictions. He also told customers that the issues faced by the company during the pandemic were the worst crisis in its 102 year history. Uh, and the email said that I'm writing you to, to today directly in the spirit of transparency, which is the ethos we're striving to promote at British Airways in 2022 as we emerge from the worst crisis in our 102 year history. Now, what they've done there is they're trying to do more online changes for mm. ticket changes and, and that kind of thing. And that's the thing that wasn't really working that well sometimes, but that has improved. And if they can get the phone uh, service better as well, so much the better. I get. I guess the um, in um, if we could give BA an excuse, perhaps. Of course, uh, when the pandemic hit, I mean, there were two immediate obvious problems. One was people weren't allowed in call centres, for example, especially when it first hit. So you got all these people who got flights that they wanted to cancel and things like that. Uh, and although they had physical lines, they then they weren't able to man them for you know operational reasons essentially and then of course i suppose off the back of that it's that sort of tumble effect isn't it where um now the demand because the online side of things isn't as um as good as perhaps it should have been um at that point um we're at uh, you, you know suddenly they needed more people than they already had on the lines the lines were probably sufficient in a non covid 
you know world if you see what i mean in terms of access but i i mean you know ba are being sort of like you know lampooned for this but i dare say all uh um, airlines have had a, a sharp intake in the amount of people who have needed to get in touch with them because of every suddenly nobody could fly. Yeah, imagine the call centre situation, just as you were saying, Matt. You know, mm. one minute you've got, you know, five hundred people in a call centre, and the next minute the facility is shut down more or less, and people mm. are having to work from home um, with no real proper, you know, IT facility no. really because that's not how they work. So, no. Uh, yeah, Indeed. But, uh, unless you're Ryanair, of course, in which case you don't operate a call centre, and it doesn't really matter anyway. Well, there you go. Uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely, it's uh, yeah. It's, I, I dare say there could be a similar story um, with many other airlines. I guess is where Something. I'm going with. Oh, it. absolutely, uh, it's shocking. I'm pretty sure if I, I check my watch, it says the 2020s on there that we don't have the ability to do 99.9 percent of the transactions online digitally. Uh, this airline I'm wearing a shirt from that was back shut down in 2006. We had technology back then that we could rebook an entire flight with one phone call to a, a one desk and within like three minutes have an entire flight rebooked, just tell the passengers to go scan their, their boarding pass at a kiosk and they get the next flight and then they come up to us that they want something different. And here it is now we're sitting on phone you know, I, I had a call into American Airlines uh, the other week, and your your expected wait time was six hours. Wow, gosh! I got a call nine hours later. My goodness! The other thing, and, I think and that's and I'm an executive platinum too. And yeah, I'm, like, exactly. I'm the top level. Yeah, with them, and and I'm getting that. I think the other thing is, John, that I remember, you know, back in the day when these alliances first started, you know, One World and, and Star Alliance, it was going to be a seamless, you know, transition, whether you were flying uh, Scandinavian uh, or British Midland or Singapore in the case of Star Alliance. And it's never been a seamless thing, I don't think, in my, in my experience, either uh, on both alliances. Uh, there's always been, oh, well, we can't do that because it's that kind of ticket or that airline doesn't recognise our kind of fare for this. And it's, I always found that very messy. I don't know mm. what you, you think. I 100% agree. And you know, I do this from the perspective of having worked the ground operations side, the flying side it's never really come through. And then, you know, the, the IT aspect of it, I think is where the biggest letdown. And then the, each airline's going to have its, its different rules. But when you're joined an alliance like that, it should be, you know, be able to come up with a common set of, of rules that you're going to operate on and acceptances of other tickets and, you know, give and take in that regard. So that, you know, if I have an American ticket and it's being operated by BA, I used to be able to check in on the American app, not just see it, but actually like fix my seats. Mm. Well, no, and I can't do that. I, I have to go to British Airways site. And then nine times out of 10, I can't even select it on the British Airways site without making a phone call. Well, I don't want to make a phone call. Yeah. I, I just want to take care of it and, and do it. I know how to book my own tickets. I know how to pick what seats I want. Let I mean, me, I mean, I, I seem to remember from a conversation I had with somebody who, who worked there for a short time, and one of the comments that they made actually was how disjointed 
their various IT systems were, if you see what I mean. So if somebody wanted to change their flight uh, with with BA, it wasn't a simple process. It involved four different, essentially four different computer systems slash programs to get the, the job done. And I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm taking the mickey out of Ryanair there with their phone call thing. But the one thing you can't take away from a lot of these low-cost airlines, um, EasyJet, Ryanair, Jet2, all that kind of thing, is you can literally do everything on their website you don't have to phone a human at all if you don't want to you can literally manage your entire flight itinerary um absolutely you're just using a web page i absolutely agree there and you know i go back to this is independence air um and we had our our big thing was that we were you know clean efficient simple to process to do very simple uh ticketing and you know to rebook somebody you know web was still pretty new back then so not people weren't really comfortable but it was possible to go and book your tickets it was possible to go make changes online if you're at the airport it was seconds you could walk up to somebody and go oh i want to try this flight let me you know and i just look and see if that flight was open and with i think a total of nine keystrokes so six for the six for the um PNR for the passenger mm. name record and then the date confirmation and then like, yes, to print the boarding card, I could rebook somebody on another flight. Yeah. And that was all done essentially by a pilot who scripted it out. So in the background, there was mad computer typing going yeah. on, mm. but me at the keyboard, I just watched the screen scroll but as fast as it could go. The, the front facing element of it is slick. And and, it was yeah. s- Easy and efficient. And I, I can recall yeah. when I was doing the maintenance stuff, we used to have an all hands on deck policy when stuff would go wrong. Mm-hmm. And we both happened to be at the airport together. And I think our I think our plane had actually returned to the airport for a pressurization problem. So we're doing this whole rebooking. Well, I taught my boss in something like two minutes how to rebook passengers. And he was yeah. happily going at it. Yeah. And why can we not bring technology up to that level where, where people can do it? Anytime I need to re- get stuck with weather or any kind of maintenance issues or whatever, and I try to rebook myself and it gives me the option on my little mm. app on my phone, well, it's useless. Mm. It's crushed. You can't do it. And that's all the major airlines that I've dealt with in the U.S. And I, mean, knock, I wouldn't have to do with a foreign one, but... No, I mean, so, so going back to like, obviously this, this story here where we're talking about BA, do you think possibly, Nev, some of this... Some of this issue, if you like, is almost because the airline has been around for so long. And so, like, it's a little bit, in some respects, if the system isn't broke, why fix it? Do you know what I mean? Is, is it possibly well, something to do with that? There's a bit of that. But I think the overriding thing, as, as a punter, you know, from my point of view, the most difficult thing to work out is the price of your airline ticket. Yeah. And if you look at how the price is broken down, if you take a, a simple single sector flight, uh, even within the same country, you know, Heathrow to Edinburgh, for example, mm. just have a look at the breakdown of the flight costs now, the air passenger duty, mm. the airport tax, this, that and the other. 
Um, you start adding all that into intercontinental routes, yeah. uh, going to the US, plus some internal flights maybe as well. And the complexity of working out how much your flight is going to cost you, let alone if you start to get into changes, you know, down route or individual sectors, um, the level of complexity is very high indeed, mm. especially, and the reason for it is, of, of course, different flights attract different fares. Yeah. And so you're into a whole world of pain before you even start. So having said all that, I think John's exactly right. The infrastructure must be built uh, with this kind of situation in mind so that mm. people can change their flights easily yeah. and know what the cost of that is and, and make a payment on their MX card yeah. uh, to, to do it, for example. And of course, having, I mean, I should just say here, obviously, and I mean, recently, Nev, obviously, you have had to make those phone calls to BA to change flights or cancel them. And I mean, and to be fair, uh, once you've got through, the experience has always been very positive. Oh, I've got no complaints at all. I mean, yeah. it's taken me 45 minutes probably on hold. Uh, mm. But, I, you know, I have heard uh, anecdotally some horror stories with, with people, as John mentioned, you know, ha hanging on for hours. But mm. uh, as you say, people don't want to pick up the phone to do this stuff. We've, no. we've got the, the front end interface and the technology to yeah. do all this. Um, we need to do more of that uh, also to take the pressure away from the call centers. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I would say more succinctly, it's a lack of executive vision. They, they don't have a a really good clear vision of what they need to do going forward to meet the new needs of of this new new world we're living in uh, to, to deal with the passengers and provide good customer service and they need to make that commitment both in terms of their um, IT infrastructure you know, cost but also the design of how they're doing their 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 ticketing their marketing their ticketing ticketing prices are just insane in the US you can have a 200 seat airplane that has 250 ticket prices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It's ridiculous. Mm. Yep. Indeed. Right. So, Matt, you've got uh, the next story, and we haven't had a good fight on the show no, for a while. No, we haven't. So, no, um, no dude. Yeah. Yes. Let, let's get stuck in, shall we? Uh, literally. The mirror.co.uk is our source for this story, and the headline is Tenerife holidaymakers detained for 90 minutes on airport tarmac. Sparking fury, travellers on a flight returning from the Canary Islands were furious after being detained for 90 minutes after they arrived back in the UK. Holidaymakers on the Jet 2... Oh dear, poor Jet. I feel really sorry for Jet 2 from <laughs> Tenerife. Said airport authorities offered no explanation for why they'd been left sitting on the tarmac in transit buses airside. The trip went smoothly with passengers disembarking as usual on Saturday evening, February the 5th, until they found themselves inexplicitly unable to leave the buses. Left in the dark as to why they'd been held up, many became frustrated at their poor treatment. One passenger, uh, one passenger even reported that police had to be called to calm down the volatile situation. They described how after 30 minutes of being stuck on the bus at East Midlands Airport, travellers were moved to a separate part of the airport where staff continued to hold them Derbyshire Live reports. In essence, we left the airport, uh, sorry, left the aircraft around 7pm um, and were loaded into the 
usual transit buses but remained in there for about 30 minutes with no explanation as to why. We were then told that for public health reasons we were not being allowed to leave and instead were taken to a large hangar hall at the far end of the airport. The passenger added many people were getting very irate and it became very volatile. So police were called to calm things down. Another half an hour went by and everything's just reset. So I've lost the story. One moment, caller. <laughs> I'm having to scroll all the way down to the bottom again. Uh, the... Uh, yet uh, they were, there was no reason so another half hour went by before the frustrated passengers were finally loaded back onto the buses and taken to passport control yet there was still no reason forthcoming from whether the airport authorities or the airline uh, were as to why they'd been held the customer said after a further 30 minutes we were loaded back onto the buses and finally allowed into past allowed to pass through passport control there was little information given as to why we'd been detained but we finally left the airport almost 90 minutes after leaving the plane and it was raining oh no uh, they added i felt sorry for the junior staff trying to make an increasingly volatile situation uh, the way it had been handled by airport by the airport and jet to left a lot to be desired now uh, the only thing with this story is we still don't know the reason why they were being held. Um... No. Well, Nev, you thought that last night when we were having the, the discussion about this, you thought maybe someone had pox and they didn't know who it was and, you know, some I, I just... weird... It, it never ceases to amaze me um, that, as I've mentioned before, you would think the difficult bit, wouldn't you, is doing Mac 0.8 through the air... But the actual, the difficult bit is ground handling, ops, getting people on and off the plane and, and getting to where they've got to go. Now, there's obviously some a lot of complexity with this story, uh, um, the, the answer of which we we don't actually know yet, but I'm sure there, there will be an answer at, at some point. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's hard work and very frustrating for those folks mm. concerned, I would imagine. Indeed. Well, hardest part of a flight is the first 300 feet and the last 300 feet. Yeah, you got <laughs> yeah. it. True that. True that. <laughs> right. So the uh, last story in the the commercial segment this week, and it's an and finally story. We like an and finally story in this show. Uh, for those of people who love plane spotting, I know there's a few of us here that like to go and check out the aircraft, but this is a bit of a different one. So Oakland's rest home resident taken to Bournemouth for plane spotting. Uh, this is coming from the dailyecho.co.uk. And the sky was the limit for a care home resident who was granted his wish to plane spot once more. Clive Wilson uh, has lived at Oakland's rest home in Marchwood since 2021 after moving to Hampshire with his wife Margaret from Fulham in 2002. His fascination with aviation um, began uh, in his early teens having not been outside to see planes since 2018 the home wanted to facilitate his wish as part of their send a smile initiative the 82 year old was able to see a number of passenger planes landing and when asked if he'd had a good time visiting Bournemouth airport Clive said you could say that it was the best he said the former delivery driver for United Biscuits, my, that's going back a few years, was so dedicated to his pastime that if there was an airport nearby upon finishing his rounds, he would drive there just to see the aircraft taking off and landing. 
It was his work that met, he met his wife of 24 years after the pair was set up on a date in the canteen by their bosses. So Mr. Wilson would even visit airports while on holiday. Uh, take a leaf out of my book. And even took his <laughs> wife to your visit... wife's dismay. I know. <laughs> and even took his wife to visit local airports in Australia when they went down under. Even when walking down the street with Margaret, he would stop and just look up at the sky to watch the planes or sit in the garden with his binoculars for hours just watching them. Oakland's care home manager, Nicola Ray, said the home does it for uh, does its best for the residents. And she said that we're always looking for ways we could improve our residents' quality of life and allow them to live out their dreams. Our Send a Smile initiative has been incredibly popular. And since it began last year, we have enabled residents to get involved with a huge variety of activities they've always wanted to do. One time we decorated our lounge in a space theme for a resident who'd always wanted to dream of going to space. And we all know how much Clive loved plane spotting. And when he said that he wanted to go out and look at them again, we were delighted to help him to go and do it. And what a nice thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, I love this story. I really do. It's such a uh, such an easy thing to do, isn't it? But Good just, on it. Yeah, absolutely. Good on Amen it, to that. Yeah, yeah. I, nice. I agree. Actually, you mentioned There's hope for me in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, you mentioned uh, plane spotting there. I, I don't know if uh, eagle-eyed viewers in the uh, I think it was Meridian area uh, may well have no may well have uh, seen a certain Jonathan Warner being papped by ITV News this week and uh, yeah. as I say he actually he's actually appeared believe it or not in fact he sent me the picture earlier here you go look uh, th- there is him so this is ITV doing a story about uh, the I think it was a B-52 that was coming, in at, Fair- was yeah. coming in at Fairford and uh, sure enough uh, is it Meridian at Fairford covering I can't remember uh, yes it would be yeah, it is Meridian yeah, yeah. Uh, coming in to land at Fairford there and there he is busy uh, papping away look I, do you know? I didn't. I, I didn't. He's got. Has he got an iPhone? Has he got an iPhone holder attached to where his flash should be on his? Yeah, so he can film and take uh, pictures now at the same time. Now that's clever. It's a good idea. I it's like really that. Good idea. Yeah. I like that. Everybody needs to up their video game now. Look, that's award-winning. I love I that. What a cool shot that is, eh? Well, look at the, the underside of the wings, like almost, almost like frost. Yeah. It's all good, white. It's a good picture. It is a amazing. Good anyway, sorry, sorry, right. to, sorry to derail the, the the story there, but it was just like you know we got a, we, it's uh, it, it's sort of that was a perfect place to sort of drop it in. Really, as I say, you got papped by ITV because we are now going to do yeah. the military news. Quickly, are we? Oh, okay, yes. all right, yes. So yes, quick, yes. press that button, Matt. Yeah. We're running oh, out of time okay. quicker okay. than a quite yeah a running timey <laughs> thing. <laughs> First one comes to us from the firstnews.com and a UK, a Ukraine Russia update. Uh, so we've got American F 15 fighter jets arriving in 
Poland, uh, American F-15 combat aircraft flew into the 32nd Tactical Air Base in Task Central Poland on Thursday this week to take part in NATO air policing missions in the airspace of the Baltic states. NATO countries are supporting Estonia, Lithuania and Latvia, which uh, lack warplanes able to patrol their airspace. The mission is currently in its 58th deployment, with Poland contrib- uh, contributing to Orlik contingent for its 10th time. Also uh, this week, American F-15 fighters arrived at the Task Air Base, where they'll be supporting the eastern flank within the framework of the NATO air policing mission. The Defence Ministry said on Twitter, the aircraft will stay in Poland until the end of February. And also Baltic air policing aircraft are often used to identify Russian aircraft flying to and from Russia's Klingenglad exclave, according to NATO. And the Russian planes often approach Alliance airspace without communicating to flight control or submitting flight plans and with their loca- uh, locators and identification transponders turned off. No surprise there. Uh, the mission is controlled by NATO's Regional Multinational Air Defence Command in UDEM, UDEM, Germany. And uh, this next story is UK Defence Journal. This one comes from uh, American bombers arriving in Britain. So as we see there, the B-52 Stratofortress aircraft, as packed by Jonathan Warner, uh, support equipment and personnel from the 5th Bomb Wing in Minnow Air Force Base, North Dakota, arrived at RAF Fairford this week in the UK to execute a long-planned bomber task force mission. Bomber task force missions are regularly scheduled by U.S. European Command and U.S. Strategic Command Joint Mission Series. So according to a statement en route to RAF Fairford, U.S. bomber aircraft integrated with British Typhoon aircraft and Portuguese F-16s currently assigned to NATO's Icelandic Air Policing Mission. Bomber aircraft also integrated with British Joint Terminal Attack Controllers, or JTAC, to conduct bilateral close air support training. The mission focused on enhanced readiness and interoperability uh, for the controllers uh, responsible for coordinating airstrikes to support ground forces. Regularly integrating with our allies, they said, improves the cooperation and operational capacity and capability and inoperability occurring uh, since 2018. Bomber relations through Europe maintain the readiness to execute a wide variety of missions across two continents, sustaining peace through deterrence. Now, I know things are starting to get rather heated across uh, uh, in the Ukraine at the moment. And I think we're literally just waiting to see the next big story break on Sky News when something uh, happens there. I know, right? Yeah. I thought this was all Worrying behind times. us, you know. I thought, I, thought, I thought everybody had grown up. Clearly not. So, Nev, <laughs> you've got the next one, and this is about uh, Armando's favourite helicopter. It is, yeah. It says that the Okinawa's uh, government requests US Marine Corps to cancel training using Ospreys. Uh, The US Marine Corps stationed in Japan's southernmost prefecture of Okinawa announced on February the 7th that it will conduct training using Osprey and other military aircraft from February the 8th to the 13th and that the prefectural government responded on the same day by requesting that the Marines, uh, the Okinawa Defence Bureau and other authorities cancelled the unprecedented large-scale training at the Naha port facility located in an urban area. Okinawa's uh, governor, uh, Denny Tamaki, uh, criticised the move at a February the 7th press conference saying that the Naha 
port facility is right next to the city area and also near Naha Airport, where many civilian aircraft arrive and depart. It will amplify the anxiety among uh, Okinawans and uh, impose further base burdens. It's totally unacceptable. Uh, the US Marine Corps announced to the media that it would conduct the training, but the prefectural government did not receive contact from the U US military or the Minister of Defence's Okinawa Defence Bureau. According to the announcement, about 250 members of the 31st Marine uh, Expeditionary Unit, which has got its headquarters at the US Marine Corps Camp Hansen in central Okinawa, will participate in the training to hone their skills in humanitarian assistance and evacuation of non-combatants. In addition to the Ospreys, helicopters such as the CH-53E and UH-1, as well as US Navy ships, will also participate in the training. The Marine Corps explained some weapons and military vehicles may be visible from outside of the base during the training. The Japan-US Joint Committee Agreement, known as the 515 Memo, which set the conditions for the use of US military bases when Okinawa was returned to mainland Japan in 1972, described the main purpose of the Naha port facility as port facilities and oil storage. According to the prefectural government, Okinawa Defence Bureau Director General Isao Ono uh, told uh, Okinawa Vice uh, Governor Kilcharo Jahana, who uh, requested that the training be cancelled by phone. Aircraft training is not excluded in the 515 memo, and it is difficult to ask the US side to cancel it. Mm. A mm. difference of opinion. <laughs> so, this is one of those things that I think that is very important for the military to do. And, you know, the, the government there seems to be missing the fact that if something bad happened there, you know, a large typhoon, earthquake, or whatever, who do you think is most likely to provide the support to help rescue them? And it exactly. has in the past. Yeah. And it's very important for them to exercise these, these plans. It's probably a plan they have to utilize that port as their staging area to bring in ships, bring it out uh, wounded. And if you don't exercise it and test it in the real world, you don't find out what the problems are and you can't fix it. And you can't, ex can't do it in, in the real life when there's even more variables going on. Mm. Yep, absolutely. There's not much in the way of simulators that could uh, deal with that situation, I would imagine. Uh, so, yeah. No, that is true. Um, Matt, you've got uh, the last one here, and this is about a, a helicopter that... Uh, featured in a film that I rather like. <laughs> right, OK. Uh, yes, this is uh, thedefensenews.com and the headline is, for the first time, the Black Hawk helicopter... Oh, you mean Air, you mean Air Hawk or whatever it was. It? No, Black Hawk Down. Oh, awesome right. Film. Oh, OK. All right. Awesome okay. film. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, Black uh, Hawk helicopter flies without anyone on board. Ooh. Uh, a UH-60 Alpha model... Black Hawk helicopter flew for the first time entirely unmanned as part of the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency Aircrew Labour in Cockpit Automation System. Wow, that really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? We'll call it so. We'll call uh, we'll call it Alias for short. Uh, that program. Uh, so this is Sikorsky announced on the eighth of February. Lockheed Martin owned Sikorsky and DARPA have been working on the Alias for roughly six years but have always had a pilot in the aircraft, just in case, even if the helicopter performed the flight entirely on its own. There's a switch in the helicopter called the... Uh, 
a 210 switch. Igor uh, Chapinski, who is the director of Sikorsky Innovation, told reporters during an 8th of Feb virtual press briefing. The switch indicates how many pilots are present in the aircraft. Uh, for the first time before the flight, it was turned to zero. For 30 minutes, the alias Black Hawk flew without anybody inside over Fort Campbell, Kentucky on the 5th of February, and then again on a shorter flight on the 7th of February. The aircraft performed pre-flight checks took off and ran through a simulated light detection and ranging uh, system depicting the congested and complex New York City skyline. Uh, the 1,400-pound, uh, sorry, the 14,000-pound aircraft responded autonomously to the simulated skyscrapers weaving through Manhattan, according to Kerchakopinski. Uh, then the aircraft landed by itself. With reduced workloads, pilots can focus Focus on mission uh, on mission management instead of the mechanics. Stuart Young, who is the program manager of DARPA's Tactical Technology Office, said uh, this unique combination of autonomy software and hardware will make flying both smarter and safer. DARPA and Sikorsky have together invested roughly $160 million in the Alias program. The plan is to wrap up the program by the end of the year, Young said. Uh, the split between the two, Young said, also uh, was relatively even. I mean, as you say, it is a stunning aircraft. There's no two ways about that, isn't it? It's uh, it's probably only second in, in like, that you could pick out. Because the old, um, uh, what's the one over at... Uh, What's the one that we see over? The Apache is, is another one, isn't it? That, oh, the H64 Apache, yeah. Yeah, that really stands out. Um, and this is another one of those, isn't it, where you know it's almost unmist unmistakable in its appearance. It's, oh, the Apaches uh, definitely stand out around here, Max. Um, they fly, fly virtually 300 feet above the well, house. That, that, there is that, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, if you want to put a label on it, obviously. Uh, but, yeah. Well, helicopter pilots get nosebleeds above that altitude. So. Good point. Yeah, Good they do around here, John. They do around here. <laughs> me, me and Matt are very lucky where we live here because they do I mean, you say of lucky. training around here. <laughs> you say lucky. Uh, I'm not but so lucky. sure about that. Woken up i think yeah, yeah that's another various word. times indeed so that is where we bring the military news to a close but we have a bit of interesting information uh, coming up for you right now for for those of you guys who may be able to head out to a certain part uh near the uk actually nev um in the summertime so nev tell the listeners where we are off to in september well, it's actually nearer to France than the UK, yeah. uh, would you believe? Uh, the small island of Jersey is having its international air display. Uh, and I think also Guernsey, the other small island next door to it, uh, will be involved as well. But Carlos and I are going to go to the Jersey International Air Display on Thursday, the 8th of September this year. Uh, we'll be taking the camera gear with us, doing interviews, the usual stuff that we do at air shows. And this is because we've got some vouchers to use up from BA yes. because <laughs> we couldn't go to the Malta air show. Uh, so I'm hoping this is going to be a much uh, uh, easier one to do. Um, and um, they've had an annual air display there for over 63 years, in fact. Um, so it's going to be a, a really good day out. And it's on Thursday, the 8th of September. Um, we'll be doing, uh, as I say, all the usual stuff there. But if anyone is around on the island on that day, it'll be a great air display, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it will be. And uh, yeah. 
hopefully we'll have some listeners. We'll try. We'll try and meet. Try. We'll remember. Remind everyone the other time. But hopefully we'll be able to meet some of you. Uh, some of you lovely listeners out there in Jersey. My first time in Jersey, so that'd be quite nice indeed. But we're going to start to wrap up the show now. Just a quick note: if anyone is uh, heading out to Duxford next Sunday, I will be over there with our listener Sturman from the chat room. You mean the, uh, we'll you mean be... this Sunday, right? No, next Sunday. Next Sunday. Nick, not this Sunday coming, not not tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, but the following oh, okay, Sunday. Right. Yeah, yeah. Me and uh, Sturman from the chat room will be heading out to Duxford uh, for uh, for the day. Um, he's never he's not been there since he was very young, so he's got lots to see there. I think. Obviously, Matt was there a few weeks back mm. with Mr. Warner. Yes. So uh, it's uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a good old session there at uh, Duxford. So if anyone's around uh, next Sunday, uh, come and give us a look. We'll be there. Uh, next Sunday so yeah awesome so social media links Nev where can our glorious listeners find us online it's a good question Uh, and uh, what you've got to do is go to Facebook Twitter Instagram or LinkedIn as well if you like and you can uh, search for Plain Talking UK there Um, you can uh, send us an email to the uh, office of Plain Talking UK which is podcast at Plain Talking UK Dot com. Uh, we have a WhatsApp number and some people have been using that extensively uh, today. And uh, if you could remind uh, us of what that is, uh, Carlos, if you wouldn't mind. The WhatsApp number is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Exactly right. And uh, if you want to contact us uh, on the uh, YouTube channel, then you can go to youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK. We're not doing a show next week because we are having a week off to prepare for the 400th show. Um, we want to get it all, all our ducks in a row. Uh, before that happens so we'll not be on air next week but the week after on saturday the 26th of of uh, february and he said august there of february uh, we'll be doing a live show from the brooklyn's museum in weybridge surrey which is going to be a great event lots of people coming along as well yeah looking forward to that immensely so it just leaves me to say a massive thanks to john for coming on the show this evening thank you john for taking time out of your uh, friday evening for jo- and joining us here on the show my pleasure it was very uh, very fun and uh, interesting to see the behind the scenes uh, side of this as well <laughs> ah! <laughs> we often forget that people don't see what goes on behind yeah. the scenes here on the show i tell you it's a lot harder yeah. when we've got talk back i can tell you that yeah <laughs> but no seriously john thank you for coming on it's been great to have you on and uh yeah your your insight into your world has been very interesting indeed yes, yes. So, thank you yeah. very much john. thank you very much pleasure anytime so that's it guys and girls episode 399 in the can Take care, everyone. Uh, We'll be back again on the 400th at uh, Brooklyn's Museum in a few weeks' 400th? I can't believe that the next show is going to be the 400th. What the heck, everyone? What the heck? So from (sighs) me here in my home studio, from Matt in the glorious PTUK Master Suite Studios, from Nev in his... Buckinghamshire Mansion Studio, and of course, from our guest John in his studio at home there. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, and see you all soon. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.